Hello and welcome to Jaw Law. I'm your host, Joe McGregor from Dallas, Texas. And today we are going to be talking about the infamous lease assignment. I say infamous as we start this conversation because the lease assignment seems to be one of those topics where we encounter this subject with a client. They're pretty shocked. The way lease assignments work is sometimes surprising to our clients, and it can be difficult to wrap your head around this. And so it's one of these conversations that has to happen every single time. And it is one of these provisions that most often leads to eventual heartache. Before I go too far, though, I want to give a hat tip to Daniel Sroka, an attorney out in North Carolina who suggested this as a topic for us to cover. Daniel is a great dental law attorney out that way. So if you're in that neck of the woods, give him a shout. I want to first start off by talking about what is a lease assignment. Now, a lease assignment is going to be important for virtually every practice owner. If you already own a practice, then this is going to be something that you're going to have to tackle if you don't own your building. If you are going to buy a practice, this is something that you're going to have to engage during the purchase process and then again on the back end when you're ready to sell your practice. And finally, if you are going to do a startup, well, eventually you're going to have to transfer ownership of your practice into someone else's hands and that is going to require the lease assignment provision again. So first of all, what is a lease assignment? To give you a simplified explanation, a lease is what we call a contract for term, which just basically means, hey, landlord, I want to use this space for 10 years. And it's what we call quasi-ownership. It's this idea that you can't really mess with me while I'm there in those 10 years. You can't kick me out. You can't raise my rent at least outside of the agreement, you have to let me feel like I am the owner. And in turn, I will make payments every month for the next 10 years. And you don't have to worry about it. You just go to your mailbox, find my check and cash it. And of course, we have certain other obligations like maintenance and things like that. But for the most part, the idea is you were almost owning that space for a period of time. And because it's such a long commitment, there is this negotiation. First of all, the landlord wants to make sure that you're a worthy credit risk. Usually the landlord is going to try to entice you with tenant improvement allowance, maybe some free rent. They love dentists because dentists pay their rent. And so they're going to try to get with, get you to come over and be in their space. And so the end result is a lease. It's this document that embodies your entire agreement between you and the landlord. And when you sign that lease, if you sign it for 10 years, you own that for 10 years. Again, it is a lease for term. For the most part, there are no early terminations. You can't just walk away from this obligation. I think one of the things that provides a little bit of the confusion is because a lot of our clients, they have had more familiarity with the concept of rent. They have rented things like their couch or a car or their college apartment. Now, modernly, we have kind of blurred the line between renting something and leasing something. There used to be a little bit more significance in the law, but nowadays, generally speaking, the difference between rent and lease 
has mostly to do with the duration. The easiest example, if you're going to rent a car versus leasing a car. If you're going to rent a car, you're usually renting it, what, for three days while you're on vacation. If you're going to lease a car, you're leasing it for three years. And leasing a car is probably the easiest example to help our clients understand what a lease is. So you go to the Lexus dealership and you say, I want to lease this car for three years. They are happy to lease it to you for three years. There are going to be some division of some of the maintenance. They're going to cover certain things. You're covering other things. But for the most part, that is your vehicle outside of those contractual restrictions. And the dealership, once you drive it off the lot, you've signed that agreement. They do not really care what happens. You can park that car in your garage and never drive it. And you still have to make the payments. You can get tired of the car. And of course, now you can't take this analogy too far because there are a lot of flexible lease options. But traditionally, you can't just decide, hey, I don't like this bottle. I'm going to turn it in a year early. That's not how car leases traditionally worked. You're on the hook for all three years. And so a lease assignment, if we're carrying that forward, a lease assignment would be about two years in, you hit hard financial times. You're like, I can't really keep up with these things. And the dealership says, hey, we've got a contract. You still owe us another year of payments. Well, your solution is to either just go bankrupt and get the lease thrown out. You can not pay the lease and dare the dealership to pursue their legal options, or you can find someone and this, again, don't take this analogy too far because usually there's a restriction on this, but you can find someone to take over your lease. Hey, buddy, you make the payments. I'll let you drive it. And you do this for the next year. Keep me out of hot water and you get a Lexus. That process is basically assigning the lease. Of course, lease assignment indicates that there's some legal instruments, there's some official document that the landlord, of course, in the analogy, the, the dealership, but in our case, the landlord is blessing that assignment via a formal agreement. So now we've set the stage. Usually what happens is you are in a lease. Let's just use five years as the term. It is year three. You've owned the practice for the last however many years. You're very successful and you are ready to sell your practice, except that you do not want to wait the final two years of your lease term. You are ready to sell the practice now. If you want to facilitate this sale, you are going to have to go to the landlord and say, landlord, thank you for being such a wonderful landlord. However, I am ready to go. And this new person would like to come in and take over my lease. The landlord is going to have some kind of process. Sometimes this is just, yeah, sure, that's cool. And sometimes it is a very detailed and laborious and painful process. But either way, the landlord will produce something called a lease assignment that says, all right, old tenant is now giving new tenant this lease that has two more years on it. Well, this all sounds simple enough, right? Unfortunately, this causes a lot of problems because it's not that simple. I'm going to list out a couple of issues that pop up commonly, and hopefully this prepares you as you encounter a lease assignment in your practice transition. First of all, in a perfect world, you would take the lease assignment to the landlord and landlord would say, okay, old tenant, thank you for your service. We'll see you later. New tenant, you're on board now. And all liabilities that related to you as the old tenant would stop 
at the moment this lease got assigned over. The landlord would release both you as a person in case you were guaranteeing this lease and the tenant, which is probably going to be your practice entity. We do that because we don't want to get surprised a year or two or three later when we find out that the person you sold the practice to stopped making rent payments. We don't want to have to look over our shoulder after the sale. The problem is that because the landlord is letting go of a good and reliable tenant, they're very reluctant to do so. So most leases, I don't know about most, but probably most leases will have where the landlord has the option to keep the seller on the lease. And this is where people are like, well, but that, that just doesn't make sense. Well, you're right. It probably doesn't. But landlords are not about making sense. They are about protecting themselves. And in their minds, they're saying, hey, we know that old tenant is a great credit risk. They are always making their payments. We never have to worry about them. This new tenant, though, we don't know. We're going to run a credit check, but we've never experienced them. This is going to be their first time owning a practice. We are a little skeptical. And so since you, as the old tenant, are already obligated for the remaining two years in our example here, that you're going to have to make those payments no matter what. And so the landlord is most likely to say, okay, we will make this assignment. New tenant will now be responsible for making these payments. However, in case they do not, for the next two years, till this term is ended, old tenant, you're going to be on standby. So if I don't get that rent check, I can call you up and you will make the rent payment. I probably do not have to describe why this is not good for the seller, but I would impress that this is not that uncommon. In fact, it is the expectation of most landlords. Now, if you are the seller and this is the outcome, obviously you are going to want to protect yourself. What can you do to protect yourself? Well, in the purchase document, and that's the document that conveys the practice over to the new buyer. So remember, the lease assignment is conveying the lease only. The practice purchase agreement is going to convey the practice and all the things that are pertinent to the practice. They're going to transfer that over to the new buyer. And in that document, there are customarily promises of protection. We've kind of talked about them before. But the idea here is a buyer would say, hey, in order to feel comfortable with me buying your practice and knowing that you have to stay on the hook, for the first two years, I promise that if I mess up and incur any kind of liability to you, I will protect you. I would consider that absolutely required for a purchase agreement for the seller. They need to have that kind of protection and be careful because a lot of times these protections are offered but it is not always the case that those promises extend into future liabilities. Most of the times in these purchase agreements, we're talking about past liabilities. So be careful about that. Now, this may be somewhat of a pyrrhic victory for the seller because if in two years that buyer is not making payments, there's a really good chance they're not going to make payments to you. If things are so bad that they can't do the bare minimum to keep the practice, most likely you're going to have problems. One other problem that comes up is when you fill out financials or apply to loans or buying a new house, 
a lot of times the banks are going to ask you, what are you guaranteeing? And if you, as a seller of a practice, you are going to now buy your dream house and you are going to write out the rest of your days in a bucolic estate somewhere in some rural community, and you look forward to nothing more than peace and quiet, you are still going to have to identify or disclose that you remain as a guarantor on a lease. And if you do not disclose, you are arguably committing bank fraud. I've never heard of anybody being chased down for that, but that is the case. So that's what the obligations look like. Now, in terms of processing a lease assignment request, there are two aspects to this. The first one is timing. And we represent both sellers and buyers and we, we have slightly different interests in terms of timing. It is customary that the sellers will want to delay the approach of the landlord as much as possible. And this is just for various reasons, mainly if the practice sale doesn't pan out. They don't want to have to have disclosed that they were thinking about selling. And honestly, most landlords just instinctively look down on the lease assignment uh, process because lease assignments in the rest of the world outside of dentistry occur in a fairly negative context. Usually it's because you're failing at business and you need someone else to take over, just like in my car renting example. So what we see, especially practice brokers, they're trying to not engage the landlord just yet till they know they have a pretty solid expectation that this practice sale is going to go through. That's not the worst thing in the world. And usually if we have plenty of runway to a deal, if we're the buyer, we're okay waiting a little bit of time. But the problem is landlords are slow and they know they're going to get their check no matter what. They're still going to get paid. They don't have to go fast. They're kind of doing you a favor by entertaining this request in the first place. So you can't wait too long, especially if you're going to negotiate, which you should always at least consider. Now, quick note, when you take a lease assignment, the expectation, the default understanding from virtually every landlord is there actually isn't negotiation. It's not an opportunity to reopen the lease. That being said, just depending on the situation, sometimes it doesn't hurt to try. But the way the landlord looks at it is like, why would I negotiate? I have this exact lease in place for the next two years. I don't have to do this. Podcast for a different day, but there are reasons why a landlord would entertain negotiations. And specifically, if there is something in that lease that's just fatal, well, you don't want to sign it anyway, and this is your opportunity to get it changed. But most landlords are going to say, hey, hey, sign the assignment and in two years, when renewal comes up, then you can talk about changing the lease. So with that being the case, usually what we say, we want to see the lease really on day one, just right up front, even if we're not going to engage the landlord just yet. So the lease needs to be part of just the immediate due diligence packet. You don't want to get surprised. You don't want to get emotionally committed to buying the practice, basically get everything settled up and then find out that this is the worst lease ever. On top of that, landlords, again, they're just really, really slow and they need time to react. And sometimes they're not working on your timetable. They go really slow and you need to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a negative leverage situation. Now, the other aspect of this process is that most of the times, the landlords are going to do some type of due diligence on the new buyer. Most leases grant to landlords some type of approval right. 
Now, most of the time, they basically have to have a business reason for rejection. And, and this just depends on the lease. By the way, there are leases. And it's not even uncommon that we see landlord has the right to approve or disapprove, and they don't even have to be reasonable. So much so that we have seen that exact language in leases where it says, we definitely don't have to be reasonable. They'll say in our sole and absolute discretion. And that needs to be something when you're looking at a lease, that language is not in your lease when you sign it. But it is not uncommon to have the landlord. Usually there's some type of credit check, sometimes a formal credit check. And sometimes that credit check is merely, hey, give us this base financial information. What's really difficult for us in the dental industry, of course, is that most of the sellers are in a drastically different financial situation than the buyers. And this is just going to take some finesse, some coaxing by your talented advisors, whether it's your attorney or a broker, whomever, there has to be some kind of working of the landlord to help them understand that what appears to be a massive credit risk maybe isn't so. And my final point, and I've kind of touched on this already, but I want to point out the landlord's perspective. Now, landlords are a hiss and a byword in our world. And I have plenty of horror stories from landlords. That being said, it is helpful to understand where they are coming from. And like I said, a couple of these I've already talked about. But understand that the lease assignment concept usually comes up to them in negative context. So they're always going to be on guard. In their mind, why would a successful business want to sell? Wouldn't they want to just keep going or pass the business on to their children or, or whatever? They do have businesses that sell, but it's just not as common, especially the non-chain stuff. So already you're starting off with skeptical landlords. And again, when you're the landlord and you're asking to release a tenant who may be a millionaire by now or several times over sometimes and replace them, with some kid who has a negative net worth, that's kind of a big deal to a landlord whose sole job, remember that landlords, they're making money off rent streams. And the way that you make money being a landlord is creating these expectations. They know exactly what money they're going to get every month. And when you introduce credit ambiguity, it makes it difficult for them to predict how much money they're going to be getting. So we're not saying they're right for wanting to keep that old tenant on. We're just saying it's pretty understandable, especially in the dental world. And finally, and not to let the landlords too far off of the hook, but landlords, especially professional ones, can be busy people. Whether they're busy or not, they have a schedule. And assignments do not fit into that schedule that often. This is not a common thing. And you need to understand that when you approach the landlord, because a lot of times they don't have a lot of experience dealing with the concept of lease assignment. So they will have a clunky process that takes a lot longer than you expect, and they will handle it different than you expect. And sometimes it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And not because they're horrible, evil people. They may be that. But a lot of times it's just because they're new at it. Or again, that they look at it differently than you do. But the point I'm making is that it is not something that's regular for a lot of landlords. So when it looks like amateur hour over there on the landlord side, a lot of times it is. The number one solution to dealing with lease assignments is to have a good lease assignment when you sign the lease in the beginning. I realize a lot of people who are listening to this, this is too late. However, if you are not yet engaged in a lease 
when you sign that lease, you need to smooth this process out as best you can. It's not always going to shake out the way you want it to, but you need to do your best. Sometimes you're going to get into a lease and you do not have the leverage to change these provisions. What I would suggest to you is that you take the first opportunity. So again, earlier we talked about there being a five-year lease, you get in on year three, you got two more years. Maybe when you buy that practice, you have no leverage to negotiate better assignment terms, but you know you're not going to sell the practice in the next two years. And so when you go up for renewal, that's an opportunity to say, hey, landlord, I've been making payments for the last two years. You want me here. I want to stay here. I will renew, but I am going to need you to soften up these lease assignment provisions. And you're going to do that every chance you get. That way, when it does come time to assign the lease, that process is so much easier. Maybe one of these days we will do an episode on the crazy things that landlords ask of us when we're doing lease assignments. We've had some wild stories. But that's all we're going to do for today. We'll catch you next time.